right. <clears throat> How many of you know what is coming up on Thursday? There's a book study. Now, here's what a book study is, is we um, gather together. It goes from 6 a.m. on Thursday morning to 7 a.m., always finished on time, okay? Because we know you got to go to work, other places like that. So we always finish on time. We're using John Maxwell's book. And, uh, of course, you know, Maxwell gets paid, you know, normally somewhere between fifty dollars and $100,000 to speak for 45 minutes. So he's a, we're leveraging his experience and knowledge. We're going to, we, what we do is read through a few chapters of the book each week. And then I'll introduce the topic, and we sit around tables. And you sit around tables with folks who have been where you've been or are where you are so we can discuss and learn from each other. It's a really powerful opportunity to grow and mature. And it's happening Thursday at 6 a.m. Now, how many of you are planning on being there? All right, 10? Uh, now, I want to challenge you on this, okay? I want to challenge you because when I see that, here's what comes into my mind. My assumption then is, is that the vast majority of you, 90% of you then, are very, very happy with where you're at in life content in the sense of your marriage is awesome, you got all the money you need, you love where you're at in your profession, your kids are awesome, your college degree or grades are great. In other words, that's the only reason I could understand, and even then, as I'll challenge you, why you wouldn't be a part of this. Because see, if you study success, you know what you realize? It doesn't fall out of the sky on people. If you talk to people who are driving the cars you wish you were driving, the reason they're driving those cars is because somewhere along the line, they paid a price. They decided that they were going to do what others were unwilling to do so they could experience what most people don't experience. If you talk to people who have great marriages, it didn't just happen. They work at that. They grow. They've read certain books. They have went to certain conferences. They paid certain prices. See, success has a cost. It has a price tag. And can I tell you something about success? It never goes on sale. Success doesn't show up at 10 a.m. It shows up at 6 a.m. That's why most people don't exceed, because they're unwilling to pay the price for success. So I want to challenge you in that. I want to challenge you to come and be a part of something that's unique. It's unique in that we get the opportunity to learn from John Maxwell. I get the opportunity to introduce a topic. And then you get the opportunity to learn from people who are further ahead, who have experienced certain things in life that maybe you're experiencing, to learn from one another. But then I want to challenge even a little further. If you're here and you say, yeah, you know, I have succeeded. Well, why in the world would you not come and give that to others? See, that, that's, see, there's a point in life when you move beyond success, because success is about what's happening in your life to significance. That's when you start to give, not just receive. You start to teach, not just learn. So I, I'll be honest, I cannot understand why in the world, if you call yourself a Christ follower, right, you love God, why in the world you would hang on in your bed to what God's blessed you with when there are people willing to get up early and come just to experience the wisdom and knowledge that you've uh, 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 had in your life. I'm challenging you to be here. People need to hear because they're going to learn not from Maxwell, even though he's great or his book or something I say. It's something that God's done in your life that's going to forever change and challenge their life. So it's easier to sleep in. I understand that. 
I understand you're reading a million books and you've been to a million, but this is an opportunity. We don't do it very often, once, sometimes twice a year, is as often as we do it. How, how many weeks is it? It's four weeks. It's not a very big commitment, but it could have an incredibly big and large impact on your life. So much so that maybe the thing you've been praying for is going to sit at the table right beside you. And for a few hours of sleep, you're going to miss that. I just wouldn't do that. So I just, I just challenge you on that. Don't, don't miss this opportunity to come and be a part of something. And we're going to be doing it at all of our campuses. Very, very excited about it because it's ha- these kind of things have had incredible impacts on my life. We just got back from a conference that I did not want to go to. Just another place to go. And the only reason I went is for two reasons. One, to learn. And two, to pour into others uh, from our team. So I I just challenge you to do that. Hey, pull out the outline you got when you came in. And I want, this is what this uh, hope is going to be about. We're going to talk about panic. We're going to talk about fear. Because anxiety, worry, our world is crazy, and so there's a lot going on out there. But then in our own world, there's a lot of crazy stuff happening, right? There's lots of things to be afraid of. Now, here is the thing. Fear always wears a mask. (laughs) You wouldn't believe how hard it is to find a Halloween mask in the month of August. (laughs) Amber had to drive all the way to Miami to get this mask, okay? But it's a pretty scary one. And fear always wears a mask when it shows up. And here's what I mean by it, is when fear shows up, we ask certain questions. What is it? I mean, what what, what is it? What what does it mean? What does does cancer mean? What what does old age mean? What does a North Korean dictator mean, right? He's wearing a mask. Who who is it? What what are they going to do? And is it going to (laughs) hurt? And when are they going to do it? Fear always wears a mask. I I put in uh, my notes. We're asking the question, what is it? What is it going to do? And when is it going to happen? It's kind of like when we were coming back from the conference I mentioned. It was in Chicago, so we're flying back. And have you ever been on one of those flights where everybody's talking, they're pushing the cart, and they're selling the Cokes, and and, and then all of a sudden you run into turbulence. And your plane goes like this, and everybody gets quiet. That's what happened. Everybody got quiet. And then the pilot, you know, he comes on the sound system and he's like, uh, we've uh, ran into some turbulence and we're going to ask all of our flight attendants to be seated. Well, that freaks you out a little bit more. Then he comes on and he says, it looks like this turbulence is going to last for the length of the flight. I don't know why pilot's got a microphone. All right. I keep doing that. I don't know why. But anyways, he comes on and says, it's going to last the length of the flight, which is like two and a half hours. And they put away their carts, and they all sit down, and it's just quiet. Nobody's talking. Why? Well, because the moment you experience turbulence, you've got the monster, right? You're asking the question, what does that mean? What does turbulence mean? I mean, if you're not a pilot, do you know? I look out the window, and I see a wing that looks really, really skinny that's flapping in the air. And then I see, have you ever looked at those engines? They're just like hanging on those wings. And I'm like, what's keeping that on there? This thing is keeping the plane in the air, but I don't know what's keeping it on the plane. I mean, I've got, my car seems to be stronger and it's falling apart all the time. 
right? It's like, what, what is it? And then you're asking the question, is, is it going to hurt me? I, I read an article, 80%, you might need to know this, uh, 80% of people who end in, up in a plane crash survive. 80% of people who end up in a plane crash survive. Now, most of them die in the fire after, okay? And so you're asking the question, right? Am I going to live? Every time it goes down and back up, it's like, okay, is it going to crash? And if it crashes, am I going to live? And you look and you're like, why did I wear flip-flops? I knew I shouldn't have wore them, you know? And, right? There's, there's all of these questions that create fear. They create worry. They create anxiety. And they lock us out. It locked us out of community. People are no longer talking. It locked us out of peace. Instead, people are worried and their stomach is tumbling. We can react to fear or worry or anxiety. Sometimes we can even overreact, can't we? Let me show you a picture. Do you know what this is? What is that? It's a frog. Not a special frog, it's just a frog. My middle son, Carson, I don't know if he's so much today, but up until the age of 18 for sure, and maybe even, so, he was scared of frogs. I don't mean just, ooh, I don't like frogs. If, if in case you're watching in one of the other parts of the country, here in South Florida, at certain times of the year, we have more frogs than at other times of the year. You ever notice that? I don't know if that's because we have more bugs. I don't know what, but there are more frogs. And during those time of the year, we'd get ready as a family to go somewhere at night, and that's when the frogs tend to show up. And Carson would make me go out and see if there were any frogs before he'd walk to the car. And if there were any, I had to hide them. Okay, I had to get rid of him or he wouldn't go. I don't want to go. Why? Well, there's frogs. I don't know why. Irrational, right? There are some fears that are just irrational. We overreact to those things. And how do we react to fear? We tend to run and hide, don't we? We're calling this series Panic Room. That's where we run and hide. Let me show you a few pictures. Here's a, a picture of a panic room. Some of them are put in closets. This gentleman has one or selling them, and, and he has it behind a bookshelf. Secret. So when the monster comes, whatever the monster is or looks like, he and his family can run, open up the bookshelf, and they can hide behind it. Now, the only problem is, is when you're in your panic room, you're locked in. <laughs> you, can't, you can't go. You can't do. You can't be. You're no longer free. In your mind, you may feel somewhat safe, but your hope is, is that the monster's not stronger than the room. Well, today, we don't just make panic rooms. We make like panic houses, right? People go out to Arizona, some folks in Arkansas. Here's one. This is pretty impressive, isn't it? I mean, look, when the zombies come, he's even got a helicopter so he can escape and get to his zombie-proof uh, uh, whatever shelter there. All kinds of rooms. Here's an inside of one. Look at that. It's nicer than our houses. What are those? They're there to try to take away the fear. They're there so that we don't have to feel anxious. But even should you go to one of those, you find yourself locked in. Not with peace, <laughs> but with a lack of freedom. So we can either respond by being paralyzed or rather than react, we can respond to fear in faith or hope you might say. Paul told Timothy, he said, Timothy, God hasn't given you the spirit of fear, but of power. When I was in high school, we put on a little play, and the pastor, I guess, you know, he knew something. He gave me 
Psalm 27, 1 and 2 to memorize. And I'll be honest with you, fear, anxiety, those are things I've wrestled with. I, I woke up, oh, it's been years ago now, but I was probably in my late 20s, early 30s. I just woke up one day and I was anxious. I didn't know why. I didn't know where it came from. It wasn't one of one specific thing, but it wouldn't go away. And it didn't just last a day. It lasted months. I couldn't sleep at night. Just felt worried all the time. Worried I was going to not outlive, you know, live to see my kids grow up. And worried just about everything. It was a horrible, horrible experience. But this scripture has helped me, and I think that it can help all of us. Psalm 27:1. Let's look at what it says. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Let's read this last part out loud together. You ready? So why? Let's do it a little better than that. So why? Yeah. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Therefore, why should I be afraid? So the fact that God is light and salvation ought to in some way impact our anxiety. Let's look at verse 2, or the continuation of verse 1. The Lord is my fortress protecting me from danger. So let's read this last part out loud together. So why... One more time. So why? Yeah, it goes on. When evil people come to devour me, when my enemies and foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Verse 3, I love this. Though a mighty army surrounds me, my heart will not be afraid. Why? Even if I am attacked, I will remain confident. So even, the Bible doesn't say there's not monsters, don't be afraid. Scripture says there are monsters, but even when monsters appear, I can be confident because the Lord is my light, my salvation, my fortress, my strength. There is, as the series says, a way out. So I want us to talk about that because I think most of us are fearful in the same way about the same things. Psalm 27.1 teaches us that first of all, our fear or my fear is uncertainty. I'm uncertain about the future. That fear, it's a fear of the future. Now, my hope is that the Lord is my light, but we'll talk about that in a moment. I want us to talk about this sense of being uncertain and how it brings about fear. See, the reason everybody got quiet on the airplane is because they were uncertain of what the turbulence would do. Had they known it couldn't hurt the plane or that we were not going to crash, they would have continued to talk. We're fearful of cancer. Why? Because we are uncertain about what it's going to do. What's it mean? Am I dying? Am I going to have to have surgery? Am I going to have to have radiation? Am I going to have to have chemotherapy? I know what it did to my aunt. I know what happened to my mom. Is that going to happen to me? And not knowing what's going to happen, being uncertain about the future creates what? Fear. Anxiety, worry, and it locks you out of your relationships. It locks you out of your dreams because you're uncertain about the future. And because you don't know what's going to happen, you're waiting for whatever it is to happen. Then you'll go back to life. Aging. Sometimes we're afraid of getting older. Why? Because what's it going to do? What diseases are going to manifest itself? What's it going to feel like? Are you going to survive your spouse or your spouse going to survive you? It can be frightening, bringing anxiety, worry. Children, right? <laughs> Did you know that children can be a monster? <laughs> right? 
can be quite frightening to realize that the first few years of your child's life, there's no greater influence than you. And the decisions you make will forever impact your kids' lives. Your mistakes? That can be scary. <laughs> what if I screw up? I don't know. I don't know how it's going to impact them. I don't know how they're going to respond to my relationship. I don't know how they're going to respond to me losing my job or, or ending up in a divorce. Or I, 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 I don't know. Marriage conflict can be the same way, right? You do know marriage can be a monster, I'm sure. And I'm not talking about the person sitting next to you. But I'm talking about the fact that once you find yourself in conflict, see, conflict can breed intimacy if handled correctly, but often what it does is it makes us anxious. Why? Because your mom and dad used to fight before they ended up divorced. And now you and your spouse are doing the same thing. And the uncertainness or the uncertainty of the future, North Korea, what's going to happen there? Do we even know? The real thing. I mean, some dictator can push a button that would forever change the world. Is he? I don't know. Politics. They tell us if you, you know, this person believes this and this person believes this. And if you vote for this person, it's going to change the world like this. And if this person wins, it's going to make everything bad. And all of those things. But it's uncertain. We don't know what's actually going to happen or what they're actually going to do. And that can make us anxious. You lose your job. What's that mean? Will you get another job? Will it pay as well as the job you have? Are you going to lose your insurance? How is your spouse going to respond to the fact that you lost your job? All those uncertainties bring fear and worry. We ask the question, what's going to happen? How bad will it be? Can I survive it? Am I going to be alone? This is the, the, the fear that I've always had, this inability of, of, of not being certain, uncertainty. I remember when I was little and mom and dad would go somewhere. If they didn't come home when they said they were going to come home, I got worried. And I didn't focus on all the good things that might be happening. They might be having a great time and staying out a little longer. They, they might have uh, met somebody and, and building that friendship. No, I, I focused on the crash that they had. Now, I focused on the fight that they were experiencing, right? But because I was uncertain, this is the before cell phones, I was uncertain of where they were and what was going on. And even when Steph and I got married, it was the same way. If she didn't, wasn't where she said she was going to be, it'd be like, what, what's happened? Bring anxiety and worry and fear. We become anxious and afraid. And as a result, what do we do? We lock ourselves away. We, we hide behind the panic rooms. We, we hide behind our fear. Fear has a way of just causing us to freeze. But my hope is what? The Lord is light. And what does that mean? It means that the future is not dark to him. That God has always been and will always be. He is not confined by time. He knows my past. He knows my present. And he knows my future. He knows what's going on. Psalm 139 says it like this. You saw me. David is speaking to God. You saw me before I was born. That's the future. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. What is David saying? God, you know me. You know everything about me. You have a plan for me. 
Well, if God's got everything laid out, if there's a plan for me, my question is, well, what kind of plan is it? Because the doctors just told me I've got this disease or this illness. I'm in the middle of this turbulence, and is it going to last? What's going to happen? What kind of plan is it? Well, Jeremiah 29, 11 says, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. This is the same Lord. The Lord is my light. He has a plan for me, and the plan that he has for me, what does it say? They are plans for what? What? They are plans for good and not for disaster. That's the plan that God has for me, to give me a future and a hope. Well, that's good to know. It's great knowledge. God's got a plan, but you're still facing an uncertain future. We still don't know what the dictator in North Korea is going to do. We still don't know about all the division and disunity in our culture. What's going to be the impact of that? We still don't know how our spouse is going to respond to our lost job. How do we take this knowledge and actually experience it in our lives? Because that's the hard part, right? You can know something that you're not experiencing. You can know that God says he has a plan and it's a good plan and still be locked up in your panic room, scared to death of the future. I spent a a year on this next passage of Scripture because I didn't want to just know something I wasn't experiencing. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, Paul says, Don't worry. And what is worry? It's just meditating on, on the bad things that can happen. It's meditating on, I don't know what the future holds, but whatever it is, it must be bad. He says, don't worry about what? What's the next word? Now, what is anything? It's anything. A dictator in North Korea, it's cancer, it's a lost job, it's getting older, it is anything. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about what? Everything. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. Tell God what you need, thank him for all that he has done. Verse 7, and this is the part, this is what I want for my life, it's what as your pastor I want for your life, then you will, not might, not could, not if, then you will experience God's what? Peace. Peace is the antithesis of worry and fear and anxiety, isn't it? That's what some of us are even here for. You happen to show up today because you want peace. You're worn out, overwhelmed, stressed out by worry and fear and anxiety. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything you can understand. In other words, the world's not going to understand because they're going to see the monster. They're going to say, how can you have so much peace? You have this monster in your life. Don't you believe the medical report? It's a monster. Haven't you read the news? Haven't you heard the media of what could happen, what might take place? How can you have peace? That's what God says is available. Peace that passes understanding, peace that makes no sense, and it will, his peace will guard our hearts and minds as we live in Christ Jesus. I want that because there are a lot of monsters in my world. How do you embrace that? Well, I just wrote these three things down real quick. The first thing he says, don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. So in other words, share your fears. Share your fears. Go to God and say, God, I'm afraid of this. I'm afraid of what the doctors told me. I'm afraid of getting older. I'm afraid of what's going on in our world. I'm afraid of losing my job. I'm afraid of living in poverty. I'm afraid of not being able to retire. I am afraid. Share your fear. Why? Because if you don't share your fear, you're going to focus on what? The monster. 
You're going to meditate on the monster. Every day you're going to get up and you're going to think about what happens if you don't have enough to retire. Who's going to take care of you? Every day you're going to get up and you're going to turn on the news and you're going to see the newest report of what's going on somewhere in the world. And it might happen to you next. But when you and I share, when we begin to tell God, our focus gets changed from the monster to God through prayer. So the first thing we have to do is we have to share our fears and worries and anxieties. Because whatever we hold on to is what we're going to focus on. And some of us are very focused on the monsters in our lives. The very next verse, he says now, uh, or very next phrase, tell God what you need and thank him for all that he's done. So we share our fear, but we focus on God's blessings. That's how we change or transfer our focus. We focus on blessing. What has God done in your life? The air that I breathe, he has provided. The life that I have, he has given me. I'm focusing that he is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. He's all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere at one time. And I'm no longer focused on the monster. I'm focused on God's blessings in the past. And therefore, the third thing is then I expect God's peace in the future. I'm not hoping for God's peace. I'm not wishing for God's peace. I'm expecting it. I, I don't care who the monster is or how ugly or boo scary he is. Or she is. My focus is not on the size of the monster. My focus is on God's blessing. Therefore, I am expecting God's peace. See, you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to lock yourself behind some panic room doors because the Lord is our light. And he sees into all darkness. The second fear that I think we have is, well, my fear is guilt. Lord is my light and my salvation. Now, if... Fear of uncertainty is the future. This is the past. This is when we're fearful of the past. Now, our hope is that God is salvation. But let's talk about this thing called guilt. See, guilt fear is when the monster shows up in our lives. You know what we begin to think? I knew you were coming. Because I've done some things I shouldn't have done. And I knew when I did them, they were wrong. I, I, there's some things in my life I haven't done. I, I knew I needed to help. I felt God nudge my heart, but I just didn't do it because I didn't want to. Didn't think I had the time. I rationalized and convinced myself. I, I, I knew, <laughs> I knew it'd show up. It's just my punishment. It's just what happens. It's just, it, it's just God reminding me that he's in control. In other words, it's God that sent the monster to discipline me, punish me for the things that I've done. Now, that all sounds fine and dandy, but that's not what the Scripture teaches. In John chapter 3 and verse 17, it says, God sent his Son into the world, so we're going to find out why Jesus came, not to judge the world. Now, you can change the word world to you. You are part of the world. So God sent his Son not to judge you. Not to point his finger and say, I saw what you did last night. I know where you were. I know what you've said. I know where you've been. I know how you've acted. I know what you haven't done. And I know the gifts that you have and what you could have done. He says, that's not why I came. I didn't come to judge the world, but to what? Save. Rescue. <laughs> the world through him. Now, there, there is one who accuses, right? Whispers in your ear all the time. You deserve what you're getting. 
you ought to lose your job. You, you, you ought to lose your spouse after what you've done. Look, look how you've hurt her. Look how you've hurt your kids. Look how you've hurt him. Look, look what you've done to that business. Look, you, you deserve it. There is an accuser of the brethren is what the scripture says. But he, he's called the enemy. The Bible says it is Satan. It's our adversary. It's the one who came to steal, kill, and destroy that whispers into our ear that the monster we're experiencing, the disease that we've been diagnosed with, is a result of something that we have done in the past. But that's not what God says. God says, I didn't come to get even with you. I came to rescue you from whatever monster you're experiencing in your life. That's why you don't have to be afraid. Psalm 46 says it, God is our refuge and strength, always, circle that, always, always what? Ready to help in times of trouble. It doesn't say sometimes, it doesn't say if you've done all the right things, if you've never been bad, if you've never screwed up, that's not what it says. It says when the monster shows up in your life, you better know somebody else is showing up at the very same team. God is there, and the reason God is there is not to say, I told you so, or to watch you get your rear end kicked. No, the reason God shows up is because he will always be there to rescue you and I in times of trouble. So we don't have to run to the panic room. We don't have to lock ourselves away from our relationships and our future and our dreams and our hopes because of something that we've done or experienced in our past. Now, how do you deal with your past? How do you keep it from haunting your future? Well, in 1 John 1, 9, it says, but if we confess our sins. Remember the word sin, picture word, it means to miss the perfection, to miss the bullseye, which is perfection. So we've all done it, but if we confess that we've screwed up, that we've missed the bullseye, he is faithful and just to do what? Get even? Get revenge? Send a monster? Make you afraid? No, that's not what it says. He's faithful and just to what? Forgive. To forgive of our sins. What's the word forgive mean? It means to separate you and I from our sin as far as the east is from the west. It means that although our sins be as scarlet, they'll be made as white as snow. To take away cleanse, make anew from all of our wickedness. See, my hope, the Lord is my light and my salvation. He's my rescuer. He is my forgiver. So I don't have to be afraid. And I don't have to be anxious. And I don't have to be looking over my shoulder wondering when the monster is going to show up in my life. Because even should he show up, God is my refuge, my forgiver, my hope. <clears throat> and my salvation. Last one. So we think about uncertainty, fear of the future. We think about our guilt. We have this past catching up with us. The third fear is inadequacy, which is a fear of the present, right? The monster is <laughs> here right now. I mean, you just got the diagnosis. You watched the news before you came. Saw what's going on there in North Korea, division in other parts of our country, people saying this, doing that. I mean, it's right here, right now. You lost your job just this week. Your children made some bad decisions just this week, and you're wondering if it has anything to do with the bad decisions you've made in your life. I mean, it, it's, it's right here. It, it, is, it is the president, and it is the sense that we feel inadequate to deal with it. It feels overwhelming. Right? We're not strong enough. Now, 
The hope is that the Lord is my strength. But let's talk about this fear. I'm not strong enough to overcome the scary thing that's in front of me right now. And whether it be cancer, it's stronger than you. You can eat all the right foods. You can do all the procedures. And yet you and I both know of people who have done those things and not survived. It's stronger than you. The addiction's stronger than you. You've said how many times that you would never do that again only to find yourself doing it once again, even though you know it hurts the people that you love the most. Poverty's stronger than you. You're, you're in the fourth generation. Your mom and dad didn't have anything. Your grandparents didn't have anything. Your great-grandparents didn't have anything. And you struggle with the fear of poverty. It's stronger than you. Turbulence stronger than you, right? I can't hold that airplane up. I'm not Superman. North Korea, if he pushes the button, there's nothing I can do to stop him from doing that. I can't shoot down the, the, the rockets. I, I, there's nothing I can do. Failure. The fear of failure. All of these things are stronger than me. I told you earlier that I had the opportunity to go and spend some time with my dad. And, you know, my dad's always been strong. I remember when I was a kid, my dad dropped a manhole cover on his feet. It broke both of his big toes. Well, the next day, he cut the, the toes of his shoes out, and he went to work. My dad pulled his tooth. He had a cavity by, with a pair of uh, pliers. Um, when my dad had quadruple bypass surgery, he was up the very same day. He never said he'd never hurt. He never had a headache. But... Now, with, and, he, and he'd had his tongue operated on in the past, and he had done fine with that. I'd never seen my dad fearfully. He'd always been strong. He'd always responded to whatever obstacle was in front of him. But this is stronger than him. Before the, sur last, the first surgery, I asked him, he said, well, how long do you think he'd be in the hospital? Oh, a couple days. And he got out, and then he was back in, and this didn't work right. And I've never seen my dad give up because this is stronger than him. He's never felt weak. He's always been strong enough. But here's the truth. All of us, at one time or another, some of us many times will face things that are stronger than us. They're stronger. Listen, it doesn't matter how much money you got in the bank doesn't matter how great your insurance is. doesn't matter how solid your job is. The scripture says all those things can be gone, and you know they can be. That's why you keep putting money in the bank and you keep buying insurance. It's your panic room. It's your hope. It's your peace. The only problem is, is it doesn't bring greater, great peace because you know it's not enough. And you know should the dictator push the button, no bank account, no insurance, none of that's going to protect you. But you find yourself in the wrong place when a terrorist decides to do something. And it is that fear, again, that locks us up. But what does the scripture say? Isaiah 41.10 says, don't be afraid. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read something like that, here's what I ask. Why? Right? I mean, it's easy to say it. Don't be afraid. We've been told that our whole life. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of the dark. Don't be afraid of what's under your bed. Don't be afraid of what's in the closet. Don't be afraid of that clown. Don't be afraid of Santa Claus. Don't be afraid. Well, why? Why shouldn't I be afraid? 
well, the scripture tells us, for I am with you. Well, who is I am? I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the end. I am the all-powerful. I am the all-knowing. I am the everywhere at one time God. I am the one who created life. I am the one who breathed into your nostrils. When Moses asked the question, who should I say is sending me, what did he say? Tell them I am. And I am was not only with Moses, he's with you and I. Don't be afraid, he says. I am with you. Do not be discouraged. Again, I ask the question, why? Because the monster is big and it is discouraging to know that that monster is in my life. Why should I not be discouraged? For I am not only with you, I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up in my victorious right hand. Now, here's what I would encourage you to do is go through there and circle all the words I. I am your God. I will. I will hold you. Listen, God doesn't delegate to the angels your fear. I love the fact that God doesn't say, you know, Troy seems to be scared about that. Uh, Michael or some angel, you know, we've never heard of, uh, go, go down there and help him. God doesn't delegate you or me to the angels. What does that scripture say? God, the I am, the all-powerful God takes his hand and he holds me up and he strengthens me. I have the attention of God. So I, I, I may be weak, but he is strong. Isn't that what Paul said? See, my dad knew how to deal with strength, but he never learned how to deal with weakness. It's easy to do. It's easy to spend your whole life. Now, we say, I'm trusting God. But, but, but where's your panic room? Where do you run when you're afraid? Do you run to your bank account? Or do you run to what you stored in heaven? Do you run to your insurance? Or do you run to the great physician? I'm not saying those things are bad. You need to be wise. But I'm asking you, where do you run? Not what do you say. Where do you run? There's a great example of it in um, 2 Chronicles. King Jehoshaphat was uh, a good king of God's people. They had some bad kings who didn't follow God, and then they had some who did follow God. This, this is a, a good, he was young, but he's a good king. He followed God. But, but look at what happened. Some people came to see him some, one day. It's not in your outline, but it's up on the screen. 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Verses 2 and 3. It says, messengers came and they told Jehoshaphat, a vast army, big army from Edom is marching against you from beyond the Dead Sea. And not only is there a big army coming, they are already at Hazazuzan Tamar. I apologize, all right? Anyway, what's he saying? He's saying they're, they're almost here. That they're already at this place. Jehoshaphat was, what's it say? Terrified. You ever got news that terrified you? You ever had somebody tell you something that terrified you? You ever got a doctor's report or turned on and, and saw a report on the news or something that terrified you? He was terrified by the news and he begged the Lord for guidance. I like where he ran though, don't you? He didn't run to his army and say, hey, we, do we have enough troops? Do we, need to, you know, do we need to draft a few people? 
he, He didn't run to his military generals and say, hey, do we have the newest weapons? Do we have the newest technology? The scripture says no. He went to God, and he begged God. What did he beg God for? What's it say? Guidance. That's interesting, isn't it? He didn't beg God to take away the enemy. Right? We tend to do that. No, he, he begged God for guidance, and then he asked the people or ordered the people of Judah to fast. See, you and I sometimes want God to take away the monster, where what God wants to do is show his power in the monster. See, the scripture says, all things work together for good for those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. And so the enemy sends this monster to scare you. And it's scary. And it's, it's big. And everything inside of you and I wants to run because the enemy wants to use it to destroy you. But God says, I'm going to take the very thing that the enemy has brought into your life and I'm going to turn it on its head because I'm going to use that fear to strengthen you. I'm going to use that fear for you to see that I truly am the all-powerful God and that you never have to be afraid. Jehoshaphat prayed, God, give me some wisdom. I don't know what to do, and I'm scared. Well, what was God's response? Verse 15, same chapter. He said, listen to all the people of Judah and Jerusalem. Even you, King Jehoshaphat, listen. This is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid. Okay, there we go again. Why? Don't be discouraged by this mighty armor. Here, here's what I love about the Bible. The Bible doesn't discount the size of the monster. You notice that? What does it say? It's a vast army. He says, don't be discouraged. It's a big army, man. They've got technology. They've got giants. They've got, this is a big army. It's a lot of people with a lot of weapons, and they are marching, and you can hear the thunder of their feet as it hits the ground. But even though the army is big and powerful, you don't have to be afraid. Why? Because it's not your battle. It's God's. And while that army may be big, it is not bigger than your God. And it is one of the great benefits of being a Christ follower is that there are monsters in my life and in your life. And there are big monsters and they are scary monsters and they are even powerful monsters. And they have taken out people in the past, but that monster is not bigger than my God. And it is his battle, he says. It is not my battle. It's not going to be taken on by my bank account or by my insurance or by my skill or by my mind. It's going to be taken on by his. So I will not be afraid. I will not be anxious. I will not run and lock myself in from the people and the dreams and the purpose of my life. Because the battle is not mine. Now. You can focus on the mask or the monster. You can be uncertain about the future. You can be overwhelmed by your guilt or what you've done in the past. You can feel overwhelmed and inadequate. Or you can be reminded that the Lord is your light. There is no darkness. You can be reminded he is your salvation. He has taken all of that away. And that he is your fortress and he is your strength. The battle is not yours, but it is his. But we all have to decide that. The way we wanted to end today is a little bit different. You, you probably saw when you came in, 
all of our campuses, we have those locks. They're little locks, but they're on the cross. And they, they all represent something. They represent our fear, because that's what fear does, anxiety, worry. It locks us in, makes us afraid to move forward. And we all have them. I, I don't know what yours is. Maybe I've mentioned it, maybe I haven't. But you know, and I want you to think about that for a moment, because that's what this, this little lock symbolizes. In a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do something about that. Is We have these little keys. They're not very big, but the interesting thing about these keys is they fit into the lock and they open it. And, and we wanted to give you a way to act, to, to symbolize, to be reminded that you don't have to be fearful. And, and, and so I'm, I'm going to pray for us and we're going to sing worship last song. And as we do, I'm going to invite you to leave your seat and to go to one of these crosses. We have them here at the floor. They're up there in the balcony. And they're going to give you a, a key. And then take the key, just unlock one of these locks, symbolically thinking, this is, this is this fear in my life. This is my anxiety. This is my worry. Unlock it. And then there are big baskets there. So just kind of throw it in the basket. But take the key with you as a reminder that you don't have to be afraid. Like the series says, there is a way out. It's our light, our salvation, and our strength. Would you bow your head? Father, I pray that we would be set free from our panic rooms and our fear and our worry and our anxiety. Thank you that we don't have to be afraid. May these next few moments, may we have a sticky mind. May we be, may we act in faith, breaking free. In Jesus' name, let's stand, let's respond.